Africans and Africanettes and African adjacent to another episode of Walker's Appeal, a.k.a. The Appeal, on the Wake Up Radio. Uh, don't forget to check us out on otw2.com. Shout out to Cindy Ashby, the greatest producer and engineer, making everything happen, putting it all together. Uh, I am Oz Bryan. My co-host is... I'm Rob Williams. All right, Eddie G. Okay, Eddie G. Eddie G. <laughs> uh, and we have a special guest with us today. Mm. Davy and Daniel. How you doing, I'm good. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. So, yeah, we got a, a really great show for you lined up today. Again, you know, we always function in the spirit of saying, Copa, yeah, you, you only move forward once you look back. Right? Um, David Walker would have it no other way. Uh, so today we're going to be discussing a few things. Uh, today marks the anniversary, this week marks the anniversary of uh, uh, Marcus Garvey's famous uh, Let the Tigers Loose speech, uh, the speech he gave right before uh, he was incarcerated, <laughs> uh, indicted on mail fraud. Also, speak also marks the anniversary of the Militia Act of 1852 uh, when President Lincoln finally let Blacks uh, fighting the military and gave him some guns. He grows with guns. <laughs> Shout out to Robert Williams. <laughs> yeah. We also want to remember uh, Hector Peterson. Uh, so Hector Peterson, the murder of Hector Peterson. Hector Peterson is a little 13-year-old boy uh, who was one of the first people killed during the Soweto uprisings when uh, little children fighting for or resisting uh, 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 changes to their education, the loss of that culture, right? Um, and put their lives on the line. And uh, little Hector Peterson, the famous photo of his uh, dead body being carried uh, from the field after the police open fire on little children over in South Africa. Uh, today, also, this week also marks the anniversary of Powell versus McCormick. Uh, this was uh, having to do with Adam Clay Powell and uh, Congress's attempt to move the black man from Congress. At the time, we only had two, right? There was Bill Dawson in Chicago and Adam Payne Powell. And they tried to take that away from us. God damn. We can't have nothing. And that is, this is also a somber anniversary of the Emanuel Nine uh, this week. Um, uh, I'm going to call him a devil. I walked into a church in Charleston, an A&E church in Charleston, South Carolina, where blacks are praying over the fire, killing nine of them. Nine of our brothers and sisters. 
Uh, we're also going to be examining the foreign relations issues, uh, how do black Americans relate to the uh, nation's policies, uh, and how do those policies shape our view of Africa and Haiti. <laughs> and also, before we start off, happy birthday to Weldon B. Johnson, one of the great intellectuals of the Hall of Manitoba of Black Life, uh, the writer of the Black National Anthem. Before we begin, I want to introduce you to Debbie and Debbie. Tell us about yourself. Sure. What would you like to know? <laughs> so that, she's, she's, she's shy, right? She's humble. Uh, she's uh, running for judge out here in Southeast Queens. Uh, again, independent of the Democratic machine that we decry so often on this program. But uh, independence is so important. So yes, uh, tell us about that. Yes, it's true. I am a Democrat and I'm running independent of the Democratic machine for a Queen County Civil Court judge, and this will be um, a judge who can handle family court cases, criminal court cases, or civil court cases, and people, voters who live in Belarus, St. Albans, Briarwood, Cambria Heights, Hollis, Jamaica, Two Gardens, Jamaica State, Oakland Gardens, Queens Village, Springfield Gardens, Royalton, Ropes, Rockdale, and St. Albans will be able to vote in this election. Yeah, man. I mean, it sounds like a simple thing, but man, you'd be surprised the amount of resistance you come up with when people talk about running independent to judge. It's crazy. Cabin came from a vent over on Linda Boulevard. Where <laughs> they didn't want you to speak. I mean, come on, speak, Kate. Scared of you letting you speak. Could you imagine? That is wow, unless you're one of their people. Somebody scared to let you speak. I've seen how they operate. That's how they control power, man. And that's why getting an independent judge or an independent anything is an actual victory in some ways. But yeah, um, um, well, but I yeah. do want to add that there have been several judicial forums, but I've not been invited to any so far. <laughs> 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 I mean, listen. You know, sometimes you might think that the system is fair, and this is why you got to challenge it. And once you challenge it, you realize that it's not. You make a lot of assumptions. I mean, even even the system, you know, you know, in the Bible it says, "Forgive them, Lord, they know not what they do." I don't think these folks yeah. know. I mean, they got a job, and and they don't know. They don't understand that they're participating in their own oppression, right? They want somebody to stand up for them, but they won't never stand up for nobody else. I don't understand how that works, but it's cool. Well, they're largely misled. I mean, not to make assumptions for her, I guess, but she's running because she's familiar with the system, and she was most likely inspired from what she saw working within the system. Most people, the system is presented to them as something that does function, so it's okay if they don't really pay attention to who's behind the wheel. They know the bus is still going to get where it needs to go, and they can do what they need to do. So as long as nothing sh you know, shatters that illusion then people like our guests will never get a chance to really do anything because the greater population is like, well, what's the problem? We sound like the weirdos until you actually look behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah I mean, you're right. The bus is going to get where it's going, but we ain't got a ride at the back. <laughs> you know what's going on? We don't have to ride at the back. What was it that you told me? Wait, what was it that you reminded me of last week? You can free a lot of people, if but only if they know they're enslaved. 
That's right. You know, about Shakur said, in like, order to be free, one has to first be acutely aware that you're a slave. If okay, you don't so know, you're there you go. That's you right. know, <laughs> we're dealing with, like I said, like I said last week, you know, the fish don't know they're swimming. They don't know what water is. They're fish. <laughs> First, you got to tell them what water is, and that's going to blow their mind. So our judge here, she's already fighting an uphill battle, especially in some areas where, you know, that's not even a popular thing. They don't, they may not even know that you can vote for judge. Vote for a judge? What? You know? Judge is well, that's been like this. Oh, sorry. I'm going to say that that's been my experience out and about. I met so many voters who are incredulous that you that judges are an option on ballot for them. Um, one lady I met today said she wasn't prepared for it because she didn't know that there were judges on the ballot and she didn't know that voters had the right to vote for judges. How old is she? How old was the lady about? This lady was probably in her 70s. Good for you. God damn. That's a lot of judges God. she could have helped elect and had no idea over the decades. And that's there you go. That's a perfect example of the system working just as it is planned. It's not that it isn't working. It's working. It's just not meant to work for you. <laughs> so, so we got a we got uh, a lot of the topics we deal with. Three we do deal with the legal system because mm-hmm. that's what's when you whole black sackets are. So, uh, so Debian's going to be on the ride with us as we <laughs> answer these topics. And it can get heated. So, Debian, I hope you got your seatbelt on. But um, I'm going to ride with This is good, too. Topics. It can help keep me off from going off the rails. <laughs> you know, she's like, no, that's illegal, Rob. Okay, fine. Well, last week, we didn't even touch another topic. We were supposed to be discussing race norming in the NFL. That scrap it. <laughs> uh, Beautiful. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, uh, so in 1923, uh, I believe, yes, 1923, Marcus Garvey was convicted of mail fraud. But um, one of the things that we were discussing, Rob, was that, you know, uh, the success of a Garvey isn't that he made it to Africa. He never did. Um, but the I- Africa as an idea was planted. And he planted that seed of Africa, not just as an idea, like a negative idea, but a positive <laughs> idea, destination. And um, uh, as he was being acting, first of all, um, Debbie, what do you think about people who try to represent themselves in court? <laughs> well, there's a famous saying that says, "Any fool hides himself as a client." Yeah. So you know, uh, I mean, he, but, but you gotta imagine uh, a man who 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 sort of. Uh, Independently, right? Because the U.S. has made a attempt to move blacks back to Africa, right? That is why Monrovia and Liberia. <laughs> but he wanted to do it independent. That's a real big idea, right? <laughs> to unite all black people across the world is a really big idea. So you know, you can't be humble. <laughs> so he tried to defend himself in court against these mail fraud charges. So uh, again, you may not be familiar. I mean, I know all the facts, but uh, the fact that he used the mail to communicate with possible investors about investing in a ship that he didn't actually have is what the charge was he was convicted of, and he tried to defend himself in court. And, of course, he was found guilty, spent some time in Atlanta, and was deported. And, um, and uh, yeah, and we've described many times how 
a pan-Africanist movement wasn't able to flourish outside of the U.S. <laughs> but that's another story. But he gives a very impassioned speech as he's leaving a courtroom saying that you can't, uh, uh, Meg Gavin says this too, right? You can kill a man, but you can't kill an idea. You know, uh, he had he already done his part, right? The, the, his job had already been done. Um, I was discussing this uh, with Mr. Whitehead once, right? So we're at a, we're at a, I think I mentioned this over here. So I'm at the inauguration for Kula Landry, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and I decide that I want to bring the, because I was part of planning committee. So I bring the red, black, and green flag, and I plant it in the front. Right? I say, all right, you know, this is black man being elected. It's an inauguration for judges. Yeah, now, man, judge, you would have thought you was in Puerto Rico in that courthouse. You <laughs> <laughs> thought you was in Puerto Rico. Yes, you know? I mean, that's, it's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got some Negroes around here who told me that the red, black, and green flag at this assemblyman's inauguration was inappropriate. Inappropriate. <laughs> inappropriate. Well, what is it advertising that's inappropriate? Are you ashamed of it? Negroes. So, of course, I bring it. Negroes? Oh, no. So, I still bring it. I plant it in the front. David, mm. is, that, is, that, is, is, there, is there any laws barring the use of a red, black, and green flag at, at inaugurations? Is that, is, that in, is that in the statute of president for that? David? No, no, not as far as I know. And... And we, okay, and I was just talking to a brother from Newark a few hours ago, and I told him that the, one of my proudest moments is when Ross Ross, the mayor of Newark, having green flags over City Hall <laughs> in Newark. And then I'm showing these, I'm showing these Eagles in picture, like, listen, the flag is flying over City Hall, <laughs> but we can't have it in the inauguration. <laughs> but, that's a real captive mentality, though, and that's what. That's what you need to make it in certain club situations, you know, a bottom line. And, and it's not just, it's not just that there's symbols are powerful to say that they aren't is to ignore what they actually are. We, I honestly and, think that our movements and the left in particular lately has been real negligent. We, we've been the victim of symbols. Our opponents use them very effectively. They use them to, guide culture to influence culture and shape it but from a distance we continually contribute to the culture and shape it in other ways but we fall flat when it comes to the effective use of symbols and getting our message across to the larger population anytime you have a population that opponents are comfortable not just with their own flag in many cases but our opponents are kind of waving the flag of a defeated enemy who wishes nothing but the destruction of the united states and they'll walk around with that shit in a parade. So we, I on the other a, hand, have to fight our own side to wave a flag <laughs> that is just representative of the major ethnicity behind one of our major parties. But they're like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and these Negroes, these Negroes, no white folks do in the room when this is going down. But I, no, but that's how, that you, you know, that's how you know propaganda works. I mean, yeah, you don't have yeah, to watch right. the prisoner. They stay in the cells on their own. So with that question, the question I have for you and Devian, I think you answered it, Devian. The Juneteenth is now a national holiday signed mm-hmm. into the book. Hallelujah. Another, 
by the first black president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you didn't vote for him, you ain't black, right? <laughs> now, I'm going to have some questions is, at the next meeting. Is, is, is that symbolism harmful to us or is it no. empowering to us? I'm I at, think it's too damn late. Let me let Vivian go first. Vivian, what are you I'm sorry. Vivian. Yes. Um, I believe that Juneteenth, it's, it's, it's a positive step in the right direction. I mean, I think it recognizes a gigantic grave harm was done and at least a time to pause and remember the day people were supposed to be free. In other cultures, like for example, with regards to the Holocaust, even though that was of a shorter duration than slavery, um, there are like memorial days and remembrance days associated with that. Am I not correct, Oscar? Well, yeah, do do. I mean, they celebrate that stuff every Friday. <laughs> what are you talking about? What? Yeah, no, no, no every Friday. Uh, yes, yeah, never forget. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the, 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 my, my Jewish brothers and sisters, uh, they, they do ingrain that. I mean, not that, not even with the Holocaust, uh, but they talk about, uh, being expelled from Egypt. <laughs> Word. They still talking about previous rounds of oppression. We talking about the last 6,000 years. Yeah. That's like, that's like trying to call fouls from last season. <laughs> exactly. You still owe me a three pointer. What? <laughs> Word, word, word. Um, uh, moving on. But I do want to ask, you know, the, even though they're giving a federal holiday and commemorating this, you know, more could be done. Okay, okay. I mean, we all know that. <laughs> Reparations. <laughs> well, that. Yeah. well, here's a good yes, example right. of that, too. Um, this, this could be great. This could be recognition or it could be tokenism. Just having it recognized as a national holiday, look how long it took and how many states resisted Martin Luther King Day. And, and the blatant reasons it. why they did it. All right. And that's we were having 22 okay. years. So in this case, and this is something bigger than this is so integral to the United States. That's why it's kind of shocking that it took this long. And it shakes a lot of people's trees because this is a true end of thing. If you took, if you look at July Fourth, which gets all the press, yeah. you, you're talking about a rich. <laughs> it does. July Fourth, people the press. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's <laughs> well, that's a part of our problem. That's what I was saying. We we miss, you know, the the seal of Solomon is recognized internationally on the Israeli flag. Okay, then we can't even get the African flag to be, you know, disrespected. That's a powerful symbol. Here we have a case where it's a national holiday where you literally had the American, you know, one of our taglines is land of the free, home of the brave. And here you have an instance where a country literally made itself better. The Civil War was the death of one version of America and the beginning of another one. That's like America 1.0. If you look at the Civil War, the end of it, what you have coming out of that is America 2.0. It's literally a different system. You have a, a less tightly organized group of republics and former colonies trying to work together 
And then after the Civil War, you literally have the Union. It is a different, more tightly knit federal system. So to see, to, and then to claim that that is truly an Independence Day, if you look at America 1.0, you've got a bunch of rich, well, or at least pretty well-off landowners who are like, you know, I'm tired of this whole taxes thing. And we'd still like to have some, you know, human labor too, versus the older imperial system. They were just going to make their own imperial system on this brand new continent that nobody had really beaten up yet. Which is a, a great way for us to segue into our next issue, right? Uh, because if you're talking about June 18th, uh, which That's is right. uh, 1965, right? Yeah, the Militia Act of 1962, <laughs> which also happened uh, this week, which was just prior to uh, when uh, Abraham Lincoln signs into law that allows blacks to take up arms and fight in the Civil War. Now, I've always called that blacks fought in the Revolutionary War. We were the um, first ones to get shot in the Revolutionary War. And, Shout out to Cyprus. Debbie Ed, for four soldiers, uh, Brother Robbie, I'm not sure if you know, uh, he served in the in the U.S. Navy. Right? So that's why I, <laughs> it should be near and dear uh, to, to, to him as well as all. So now, you know, when you talk about precedence in the terms of law, right, the mm-hmm. very decisive, um, the fact that uh, blacks in the Revolutionary War, took up arms and fought in the Revolutionary War for American independence. And that this uh, uh, Militia Act of 1962 has to pass so we can take up arms again. Isn't that kind of redundant? I'm asking them in this first. It is redundant. Any blacks have always been reliable, hardworking soldiers and they fought in the Revolutionary War because they wanted to have taste the freedom. And um, it's sad that even though they fought to get America free from Britain, they were still held as slaves. True, true, true. They got suckered. You know, it really wasn't their fault at the time, but, you know. It should have been a, a country in the coal mine, so to speak. You know, there were a lot of blacks who did fight for England for specifically that reason. They were like, hey, you know, we see this coming down the pike, man. We know these guys. They are us. We know what kind of tricks they're going to pull. You know, we wrote the playbook. And sure enough, because, like I said, England got freedom right away. I've said previously on this program, England, for all their faults, they did this before. They were they were doing this whole world conquest thing before it was cool for <laughs> Bond villains or the United States. So that's how they, when they pulled back after World War II, they were, it wasn't because they were just tired. It was because they were exhausted. They couldn't keep it up. So us picking up the mantle and like, hey, we got it now. This was just a continuation of a program in a lot of ways. The mentality that it, it is not even an actual thought out plan. It doesn't have to be. We covered before. When you have converging interests, you don't have to have an actual meeting. These things will come about. Any complex system, if you break it down, it comes down to those independent actions. Cool. Um, we'll look on top. 
And as far as the Juneteenth connection, yeah, I think it is very important. And it does, this is an opportunity where we have to make sure that we don't let this symbol importance or its significance be stripped from us it's too easy to make them to let them make this into another day where it's like you get 20% off mattress and leave it at that <laughs> but it's up to us to really enforce that this is a day about emancipation this is a day where a nation that talks about land of the free home of the brave literally released let the last slaves in the empire know that they were truly free two years late sorry the mail system sucks but this is truly significant whereas on july 4th it's like you're fighting for like one third of what you were really supposed to be getting and we still sing songs about that and on top of that the negro national anthem is pretty damn beautiful sean should look it up <laughs> jay golden down with that shot um uh we can segue into so you had a question here about how black americans relate to national policy uh, foreign policy, uh, foreign relations. And since uh, today is the anniversary of the uh, beginning of the Soweto uprisings, um, I just reflect that I know back now, you may ask what's happening on Broadway, <laughs> but there used to be a, a much deeper connection um, between the continent and and, 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 and America, right? So, um, I was... Uh, my, my mentor told me a story about um, well, Mandela, right? He came out of jail, got out of jail, I think, in the 90s. Um, yeah. And he's in the he's in the motorcade. Crowds of people everywhere. I mean, I'm not sure if you remember, remember but no, I do. He's thinking of thousands of people coming out. Mm-hmm. And Mandela spots out what was the park in the big, huge crowd. He literally picks out Rosa Parks. A million people. He just came out to you. Mean, this is probably his first time in the United States. At least in 30 years. <laughs> right? He's about to the window. <laughs> and he picks Rosa Parks out in the crowd. And he says that he had a picture of Rosa Parks on his uh, prison wall. That kept him going. Because remember, oh. so the Rosa Parks becomes into on the Western World Stage in 1955 in the bus boycotts, right? Uh, Mandela uh, goes to jail. Power of the uh, will. And, uh, uh, come again? No, I said power of the will. And it's, about the inter- it's talking about in envisioning something into being. Good Lord. No, but, but you get me, so this, this Rosa Parks, quiet, quiet black woman mm-hmm. from Montgomery, Alabama, right? Not, 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 ver- not overly verbose. She inspired uh, brother halfway across the world, right? Leading uh, uh, a revolution uh, in South Africa. I mean, that's a connection, you know. Again, because you asked about uh, our, our our vision, our image of Africa, and was that shady? Um, you know, it's it just it's just amazing that we don't we have that. We lost that. The last uh, time Africa was popular in the United States was when we convinced everybody that some land pirate named Coney was going to actually unite us and we're going to save some girls. <laughs> that, that was the last time the planet had anything to say about Africa, let alone when we destroyed Libya and brought back slavery and you know destroyed an independent African country. Or, 
the South African, you know, finally getting out from under apartheid and, you know, oops, lost all their water. You know, there's plenty of stuff going on on the continent. It's just we're real selective about what we pay attention to. China, meanwhile, is setting up candy shops and roads and ports and, you know, and it, at this point, you're going to have dashikis being made in Beijing in mass. Yeah, yeah. what do you think of U.S.-Africa relations? You know, um, unfortunately, as a judicial candidate, I'm not allowed to share my opinions on anything that my family sort of said. It's civil court, though. That's an international case. I thought it was, I'm sorry. I thought that international would be safe. <laughs> okay. Okay, no worries. I appreciate you. I have to follow some judicial ethics rules. <laughs> of course, yeah. I, I I just thought that would be safe. I, I know that there's certain things you can't discuss. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's actually, uh, what time is it? Uh, actually, it's about halfway to our ship. It's about the halfway mm-hmm. point. It's about time for us to take our first break. Sit uh, tight, brothers and sisters, Africans and Africanettes. Uh, we'll be right back on the Wake Up Radio. Welcome mm-hmm. to you. Sure. Welcome back, brothers and sisters, to On the Make a Radio. This is the appeal, aka Walker's appeal. Uh, Cindy Ashton and um, on the board, our engineer and our producer. Um, and uh, I'm a block associate on the On the Make a Family. I just tune in, you know, because again, this is a, a space for independent voice. Uh, it's um, the word non-censored, all <laughs> right? Freedom of speech. We, we respect the First Amendment. Um, a true voice, you know. Um, censorship is real, and uh, of course, we're talking about black spaces, so it's something that we value, uh, as you should. And uh, again, uh, I'm Ryan, I'm my co host, but uh, Rob, sometimes they do call me F. <laughs> that's right. And our special guest today is Debbie and Daniels. This is Debbie, yes, it is. Here I am, who's a candidate. In Southeast Queens, uh, you know, um, running independently. Uh, I, I can't stress that enough, right? But, um, uh, we discussed the decried Democratic county machine. It's kind of like a, in, in, a, in a lifetime, we look at it, it's a family hall. In a real, it's too And either way, it's no good for us. <laughs> so, um, putting uh, the opportunity to independently elect judges. Uh, elected by the people, if you really believe in democracy, um, especially given what we have now, the, the choice is quite simple. And, uh, and that's also you know, pulling out a linchpin. You know, if you really want power, if I am, if I have the most crooked system in the world, how do I defend the street with guns or in court with judges? Because when you right. issue a legal challenge to try to actually reform the system, because you know you're still like, hey, I'm going to use the way things are supposed to be. You're going to get to the courthouse and you're going to find a bought judge. That's the end of actual, you know, law. That, that's the end of representation right there. You cannot petition your government for redress if the government's already been bought up. And that's a situation that we face on every level of the law. Right, there's three branches of government. And we can exercise power over all three. And, and if we fail to do so, then we're just giving away our power. And never leave power on the table. Never leave power on the table. Um, 
Uh, so, uh, as I said, uh, I'd like to start the second half of the show uh, by giving them a moment of silence. Emmanuel now. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Now, uh, you know, um, I had the great fortune going down to Emmanuel Amy down in Charleston, North Carolina, um, and actually sitting in the in the sanctuary, but going down into the basement where the incident actually occurred. And it's, it's, it's surreal. And and <laughs> it would be it would be well, how about with this? Not the first tragic incident to ever happen at the church. Hmm. Um, Our history is marked with a lot of bad incident terrorism in churches. Let's be real. That's essentially what it is. Let's not call it an incident or (laughs) an altercation or no, this was an assassination. This was a massacre. All right. This was an intentional murder. There we go again. We always short sell ourselves. (laughs) We've been taught to, you know, if this had happened in a synagogue, there'd be in U.S. Mint would be selling plates to Jewish citizens to raise money for the JDF. And here we are talking about, oh, well, some people got hurt. No, this was a terrorist attack on, on American soil. This was a domestic terrorist attack. Call it for what it is. What I was segregating to was that the church was actually burned down after it was the home church of Denmark uh, in the 1820s. And when Denmark beast to be plotting a slave uh, the church was burned down and then built. So then it has a long history of fight during for black lives and and, uh, and, and black decency and dignity and freedom. And, I'm sure uh, that, that that's why Satan targeted it. Yeah, it's like, and actually one of the, the 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 more interesting things is that you would think that uh, a person who was <laughs> down. They try to write things in history, i.e. Aunt Turner, but there's actually a book, I must say, Denmark Vesey. It's a little hard to find, <laughs> but there's a statue dedicated to Denmark Vesey um, in, in South Carolina that you can, you can go see. I think it's recently erected, though, within like the past decade or so. But there is a commemoration of Denmark Vesey um, in, in Charleston there. <laughs> and here's, that, that's something depressing as well, right? So that's Denmark Vesey House. I thought it was a museum. Okay, there might be some, you know, historical artifacts dating back to Denmark Vesey. It's a frat house for a white fraternity. Wow. <laughs> you can't make this up. It's dun, a dun, frat dun, house dun. for a white fraternity. I, I was like, I was about to walk in. I was like, Denmark Vesey House. Of course I can go in there. <laughs> I'm like, well, Yeah, I won't be in. Oh, my goodness. No, no, no. no that, okay. It's a sad house, private property. They call it the Denmark VCS. Uh, I can only imagine the type of ritual it takes to join the fraternity, but anyhow. Um, this is what happens when you let your, you know, story be told and left in the hands of whoever. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, uh, Emmanuel and Nancy ever down in, in Charleston. You know, it's a, a great piece of our our history. It is the oldest um, Amy church in the South. Emmanuel Amy, and uh, and sorry that it had to be. And, and you know, we, I'm not going to rehash the story. We all know the story of um, whatever his name is, 
and the folks that uh, were there and why they were targeted. But, um, you know, um, uh, we got we to gotta do our part. That's all. And, and don't, don't ever think that. Don't ever get comfortable with the lesson. Don't ever get comfortable. Mm-hmm. Know that you, there's always something you got you to gotta fight for. Um, before we, oh, come on, we're going gonna, gonna to discuss this more next week, uh, but I, I just have to mention this now. There was a story about a brother by the name of Robert Charles. This is 1900 New Orleans, literally, 1900, literally 100 and, and uh, what was it, 2021? 121 years ago. And... Um, I had to be wrong about this. So I'll picture this. Uh, so we talk about police brutality. So Robert Charles is sitting on a porch, right, talking to a friend, black man. Officers come up and says, you know, we got calls about, I'm not sure if it's calls. <laughs> Telephones in 1900? Yeah, <laughs> just not very well. <laughs> And they said that there were blacks loitering that fit their description. And so a tussle occurred between uh, Robert Charles and one of the officers, and they both shot each other. Robert Charles had guns. But it wasn't fatal. You know, like they shot each other's leg and it went off. This went to, uh, so once the, the, the whites in the town found out a black had shot, they wanted to kill all the blacks. Again, I mean, Tulsa, Oklahoma is not unique. We've been driven out a whole lot of times in this country over the years. I mean, they've been burned into the ground, massacred whoever, man, woman, and child. It's not nothing unique. But, however, Charles went on the run for about a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And then when they killed him, he shot <laughs> he killed about five police officers, <laughs> right? Like, uh, you know, there's Gavin nowadays in, in modern times. We have Michael Johnson. Um, and, you know, this pretty much taboo to talk about those brothers. Uh, we talk about them in the show, but you're not going to hear anybody happily praising them. But I had to be well. They praised his brother. And I thought that was, that was a beautiful example of what it means to have independent journalists. Right. That's why it's unnecessary. <laughs> the United States can't be the United States without independent journalism. That's right. And what we have right now is cronyism. You know, we, we've got really well-funded propaganda when you look at our national news. So we really need a lot of those independents out there who are going to cover the important stories. Because otherwise, these things, are, they are forgotten. Because they're definitely not celebrated. They're not taught. So the public carry them in their head and in their heart with those lessons, and it's intentional, you know. And you, you're the yeah, best, yeah. yeah. Please, Rob, finish off. Yes, I said, Debbie, and I was going to ask you uh, your your thoughts on the importance of journalism, important independent journalism, black journalism. I, I, I'm saying, but journalism in general uh, to democracy. Journalism and independent press is crucial to, demo- to any healthy democracy, and um, and that's undisputed. Have you had any experience with 
uh, journalism that did not seem to be very independent <laughs> during your race here? Have you had any? Oh, I did. You know, actually, you're right. I, um, I noticed that there's a particular newspaper that did an article and it lists all the judges who were running in Brooklyn, all the judges that are running in Queens. It provided gigantic color photos to all of them except for myself. <laughs> and I felt like that's and not fair. I mean, so, you know, these, these things, these ideas seem rudimentary. It seemed like they start to work. But even in 2021, like uh, I was discussing my class earlier this week, right? Um, I was talking about the Equal Pay Act of 1963, right? The idea that you shouldn't pay women any different because of their gender. That issue still exists today, 2021, right? That, that, that's been in the Constitution since 1963. So we can't seem to, because, to, you know, our mission so has far. been to get the Constitution, the country, to actually pay attention to its own Constitution. That is our, apparently, that is our burden and our cosmic duty. Which, which is why it's also important for judges who recognize the Constitution to apply it correctly. Right? Yeah. The function of the judiciary. What is the function of the judiciary, Mr. Uh, Daniel? What's the function of the judiciary? The judiciary is to serve as the third branch of American government and to be a check on the part of the executive and on the legislature. And, 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 uh, and, to, and to protect all the rights that are enshrined in our Constitution. Now, um, okay, here's a question for you. Uh, with regard to, I know some have two philosophies, right? Uh, when we talk about liberal and conservative, there are some who believe that uh, the Constitution, as written, or the intentions of the quote-unquote forefathers, are slave owners, or uh, that it's a living document. Um, can you tell? Can you uh, give us a little lesson on the difference between those two ideologies and uh, how they coexist? Well. With regard to the Constitution being a living document, it refers to the fact that even though the Constitution is written at a specific date and time, um, it is supposed to go with the times and with the new eras that come forward. And so even though there were specific rules that were written back then, it doesn't automatically mean that um, it means that we need to apply those rules to the modern day and to carry on the underlying principles that those rules endeavor. So it's supposed to be a living document that grows with society and with the times of our era. So how does that conflict with the conservative view of the Constitution? Well, some people believe that, you know, it's there's interpretation to the U.S. Constitution, and that means that... Um, it would apply the way it was written back then was specific to that date and time and anybody reading it should assess it from the perspective of someone back in that date and time. And so 
some of the challenges with that perspective is that um, many people in that given part, you know, study was divided by landowners versus non-landowners. And even, so if you didn't have land, then, you know, technically it would mean some of those powers were not delegated to you. But, um, so, you know, I'm not a, I wasn't a history major. <laughs> those those two philosophies seem incompatible with each other. So how do justices with those two varying perspectives coexist? But those those two philosophies seem incompatible. How do they coexist? In in a lot of ways, one of them is a fraud. You know. The, when we're talking about the Constitution, you are talking about a piece of philosophy when it comes down to it. Okay, and it was, as she said, it was written to be updated. It's not supposed to be a frozen static document. The, the, the ability to amend is written into it. So what does that tell you? Right there, at its core, that because that's not even a really a conservative interpretation of it. A conservative interpretation of it, an actual conservative, would see it for what it is, a document that is supposed to be updated and changed. Okay, what we're talking about and where we've gotten to today, especially uh, leading up to the Reagan revolution in the 80s, is a dumbing down of what is supposed to be conservatism. And that's why we have someone who could have such a criminally negligent and just irresponsible version of a philosophy like that like Antonin Scalia rise to the point that he did where you can make it to the Supreme Court and have no idea what the hell you're talking about I invite anybody our guest included listen to some of the talks he gave at Yale University that man was a glorified idiot who had good political connections that's why he got where he was because if you're a quote-unquote originalist then you would have to recognize the fact that this document was updated and changed regularly this was written by people who held regular conventions and left within it the ability to call everybody together and then dump the whole thing and start over if needed to. So the idea of it being a, a static document and we can't change anything, no. You're a goddamn fraud, Cletus, because if you go by that interpretation of it, the people who wrote this left your bum ass out of it too because your double wide doesn't count as property. So you're just about as useless as my black ass. So you need to be on the right side of history. And get with it. We this is a not just a living document. It demands to be updated. Otherwise, we are negligent. And that's why the moneyed powered interests and those central powers are able to continue to control the destiny of this nation. Because they're paying attention. They do update it when they see fit. I mean, we did just have Citizens United who said that companies have the right to free speech and when they send the money they're supposed to there you go you have a situation in the two you have a situation in the early thousands coming out of 9-11 where corporations are gaining rights and you as a citizen have lost you you have to be transparent in our society now there the right to privacy has been chipped away and etched away at for the sake of security so the idea that you can't change the constitution that we can't of our own reorganize how our society works? No, that's a liar. That's a liar and a charlatan. You should get away from whoever is saying that. Uh, to close this out before I, I invite open statement, we also, uh, yeah, we, I said, never mind, let me see if you didn't catch on by now. We spoke to the Spanish and Copa, always looking back in order to move forward. 
and uh, <laughs> we have a dish here. Uh, I, uh, yeah, well, speaking, I'm speaking it into existence. <laughs> um, today, though, this week is the anniversary of Jones v. Alfred H. Meyer and Co. Civil Court case, uh, which um, held that Congress could regulate the sale of private property to prevent racial discrimination. Uh, so, again, think about uh, it bars all racial discrimination, uh, private as well as public, in the sale or rental of property, and that the statutes uh, thus uh, construed <coughs> as a valid exercise of power of Congress to enforce the 13th Amendment. Um, uh, I mean, you know, the, the, the power of the court. Uh, um, what do you. So, Vivian, <laughs> I'm not sure if you're familiar with this case, uh, Jones v. Alfred H. Meyer and Co. Um, uh, yeah, I guess a landmark decision about uh, to, to bar racial discrimination in the sale of private and public property. Um, why was this? Not, why was this legislation, in your opinion, not able to end redlining as you know it? Right. It, 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 it still obviously continued after 1958. Hmm. So why do you think that is? Vivian? Yes. Sorry, my niece is on. No worries. So the question is, uh, so Jones v. Alfred H. Meyer and Co. is a legislation by the, or oh, decision by the Supreme Court to bar all racial discrimination and sale of private and public property. Again, occurred this week in 1958. <coughs> Why do you think that this court ruling was unable to curb uh, redlining uh, as we know it? What, what, what was the shortcoming, would you say? I know you know, I haven't actually read that case law, but I would, I would presume that... Um, Redlining was so indelible in American society, um, and it was, you know, it was um, supported by the government, and it was enforced by the government, and um, and so even though if there was a case that said no, um, no discrimination in regards to those matters, um, it didn't reach out, it didn't cover that topic because. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just too big of a, it had so cut deep roots in American society. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So enough that you're saying that, and, and, you know, as we can agree that certain things just can't be legislated away, right? You know, no matter what the book says, a nigga ain't a nigga. <laughs> you know, well, a, nigga a, a nigga lot of cases, in a lot of cases, you you don't have to say things explicitly and that's what we miss a lot of times we we like to point to the southern united states as the place where like racism is just like it, it just lived there and we forget about what happened here in the north by bringing up redlining is a perfect example this was something where my philosophy of incentives being better than an explicit plan because uh, an explicit plan you can bust people who were at that meeting and took notes or whatever you know but when it's just converging interests, there's no finite plan. It's like having a terrorist cell. You can bust the leader, but then there's the cells disseminate, and then you have to go and find them. In this situation, it was a financial incentive. How do most Americans build wealth? 
the, those who of us who can, it's through property. So if I keep you from being able to attain basic property, then you can never climb the wealth ladder. You can never actually get the one thing in the society that affects everything else. And if you're in a specific area, then I have what's property values. So I effectively have what we would call today geofencing. That entire area is worth X. So if you try to move out of X, well, what's your value? What's your equity level? I can keep you caged in this specific area just off of your finances and make sure that you can never move except for within the, your allotted area, like a chess piece. You have a certain amount of moves you can make. And that's how it's been able to be, be enforced without it actually being on the books. If Banker A knows he's not supposed to give loans to people who live in this zip code, you'll, it doesn't matter what your savings are. It doesn't matter what your credit level is. You're not going to get that loan. I understand what a cave bird saying. <laughs> so um, we're almost at that time. I'm going to allow for some closing thoughts. Uh, Debbie Ann, our, as our guest, I'll allow you to go first. Any closing thoughts for the brothers and sisters, asking about this? Want to leave us with? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I I think that redlining was, you know, many people coordinated to let that happen and to let it continue for so many decades. And um, I don't know if they called it red. I mean. I don't know if, you know, that was the official title that they called it, but that was just how society operated and um, and many people benefited from it and there was no incentive for people to change, like to be intentional about changing how they practice. But would you like to close out with the thought? I mean, we're, we're at the end of our show. Would you like to leave the folks with any closing thoughts before we uh, sign off? Well, I just want to remind everybody that in New York, there are hundreds of thousands of cases that go through criminal court, family court, and civil court. And, um, and so those courts are really important and they affect many people's lives in very deep ways. And, you know, we need judges who care about justice and fairness and who want to use their judgment and be independent about and I think that um I think this election is important because people who care about these topics um should go out and vote and I hope that um you know regardless of who you vote for it's really important that people vote in this election and um let their voices be heard. Thank you so much. But Rob Let's pay a little extra attention to Juneteenth going forward. You know, we, we live in a country where a bunch of people who were also oppressed for a while have their national holiday too. And it's about celebrating when Catholics ran a bunch of snake worshiping cult members out of their island. And they've converted it into a day that everybody celebrates to the point where they get drunk and throw up all over themselves. If you can go out and celebrate that and turn that into a point of pride and national and here in a completely foreign land, then you better have the audacity and the pride to carry your own flag in some celebration and make Juneteenth outshine that. We're talking about a day of getting inebriated to celebrate something. And here we're talking about freedom. So if you can celebrate St. Patrick's Day, you can go out there and celebrate any of these other holidays, you damn well better make Juneteenth something special. Thank you, my brother. Um, yeah, I'm going to close that with a 
a line from James Robin Johnson. <laughs> happy birthday. A happy physical, I was about to say, right? Because you're always alive as long as you keep the spirit going. Young man. Young man. Your arms are too short to box your dog. Until next time. African next. And those of you who are African adjacent, this is On The Wake Up Radio. Cindy Ashby on the board. Uh, check out the rest of the On The Wake Up, on the Wake Up family. Until next week, this is the Blackest Hour. We appreciate you. We love you. Peace. Hey, Yurima Karama here with a quick infomercial. And I have a question for you. Are you tired of social media outlets that block real content? I mean, are you tired of your favorite internet truth teller getting blocked or put in fed book jail? Tired of making a comment and the algorithm quickly deems your comment to be offensive and takes it down? I mean, are you tired of making a post and a fact check pops up, making it look like your info isn't accurate, and then it turns out that the fact check is actually the lie? Are you tired of seeing white people get by with racist commentary or post and they never get blocked, but unapologetically black truth tellers are always having their videos taken down? Tired of having to wait a month or seven days or 14 days for your favorite social media truth teller to get their page back up because white-owned social media outlet owners take their content down whenever they feel like it? Tired of black people getting on white-owned social media outlets and finding out that the outlet is making billions of dollars, but... You don't get one red cent of that money? Well, if you're really tired, then you should do as I did and make the switch. Yeah. Come on over to otwtube.com where your content and comments are actually accepted. Also, get the Urema Karam app where you can stay up to date on real truth that lamestream media intentionally hides from you. Come on over to sites that accept you being unapologetically black. I mean, come on over to sites that love you being free to express yourself. This is why I took my aboriginal indigenous melanated ass on over to OTWTube, because I recognize the importance of freedom of speech. I recognize that I would be doing my ancestors a tremendous disservice if I stayed a slave on social media outlets that want to dictate what I say and when I can actually say it. If you're tired like I am, then make the switch now to OTWTube.com and get the Yurima Karama app. Tap into the truth, because that's what you deserve. I am Yurima Karama, and I approve this message. Look it up. Flawed individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Diang. Cindy Ashby Production. On the wake up.